0: Let me open us with a word of prayer. Blessed Lord, thank you that in your son Jesus our labor is not in vain, that our study of your word is not in vain, that you are continuing to build us up, equip us, and qualify us as servants of your kingdom. Bless our time together this morning, Lord, and enlighten us further to what you yet intend to do, not only for us, but for your whole creation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wanted to start just with an open-ended question. Have you ever experienced a rescue? Have you ever experienced a rescue? Feel free to to share. Yeah, Tara. We were on a boat and had to call the Coast Guard because the boat caught on fire. The boat caught on fire? It was was pretty traumatic. Even talking about it getting caught. Oh, my goodness. How quickly was the Coast Guard there?
1: Uh, Quick enough.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Wow. You don't remember it? <laughs> oh. Oh. Yeah, cool. Tara remembers it well enough I for do, both yeah. of you. I do. Um, I had taken uh, good news. I had taken a Coast Guard class on safety. So Tara wow. and I had lifeguards, vests on, the appropriate ones, and I started drilling. <laughs> yeah, I had a mirror and I had, so I could
0: sing, signal and I a whistle. And wow. I was really stressed out, very scary. Was it just the two of you? There was a third person with us. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, so when you got rescued, nice. how did that feel? Overwhelming relief. Mm-hmm. Overwhelming relief. Yes. I mean, were you able to see them coming from a ways away? Yeah. 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 Overwhelming relief. That's a good <laughs> good way of putting it. Any others of you ever experienced a kind of rescue? You know, I
1: think probably the first 33 years of my life, I was rescued like every day. <laughs> right. <laughs> from something. Right. But there were times that I regret rescued. Uh... Yeah, and it's, it's odd though, because when I'm young, when I was young, I expected it.
0: Yeah.
1: I really did. I thought, well, you just is assumed that
0: to rescue to was going to come. Yeah I, yeah. I
1: was always sure that whatever I did, I was going to figure out a way of
0: right. being
1: rescued out of this. Thing.
0: When you're a kid, you don't know any better, right? You no. think, I'm sure this is all going to work out. You think, I'm sure this is all going to work out. yeah. 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 yeah.
1: Yeah. uh, I remember, I recall I was 16 and I hoboed for about 16 or about six months of my life. You did what? Hoboed.
0: I'm not sure if that was a verb, but. uh,
1: (laughs) Rode the rails.
0: Rode the rails. (laughs) Did you really?
1: Yeah, that was uh, that and and a lot of walking and hitchhiking.
0: Have you turned that into a book yet?
1: Yes, in so many ways, Okay. different ways, yeah, you, you know, you just kind of, uh, it was odd though because I never distrusted, even at that time, I never distrusted that God wasn't going to get me out of it. Sure, somehow. right. Right. Uh, it just always, it never occurred to me that I was in that much danger.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: Now it probably
0: would. Sure. Uh, you know, at yeah. that
1: time, uh, it just, I just expected that I was going to be rescued.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, and I think, I mean, that another way to describe that is faith, right? I yeah. expected that I would be rescued. Right. It's faith. Yeah. It's that confidence that I know that God is, is going to deliver me, if not in this life, then in the next, right? And that, that assurance. Do you want to cut us off? Anybody else have a, a rescue story to share? Yeah, Bill.
2: The opposite.
0: Oh, you didn't get rescued.
2: No, well, <laughs> <laughs> to do the rescue. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but I was going to reflect on something I did, but it brought to mind what Amelia and Rick Jones mm-hmm. and, and uh, West Hall and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, first responders, uh, so, uh, Marie, and, uh, uh, but just so many people, they are called on constantly to rescue people. I mean, they don't know what they're going to, they have a, a slight indication of what the problem might be right. before they get there, but once they get there, I mean, just... It just amazes me that this, these people we see every day mm-hmm. walking in life are superhuman. Right, mm-hmm.
0: right. Yeah, that's true. Just out there performing rescues on uh, I mean, any given it, day. It, and
2: while I'm getting my hair cut, I hear them on the radio. Right, <laughs> exactly.
0: Wes Hall, man of many talents, that's for sure.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, when we think about rescue, another word for rescue is to be saved, right? And salvation. Um, but as Andy Wright's going to show us in, in this last study, sometimes our view of salvation is too small. It's too small. And we need a, a wider, fuller, more biblical view of salvation, the extent to which um, it, it, it includes and encompasses us and all that God is doing in us and through us and in the world. So, let's turn to our last video once again on your handout. Has everybody got a handout, by the way? On your handout, you've got a little outline of uh, Dr. Wright's teaching as he talks about the hope of salvation.
3: I'm here in the deer house in the old park at Auckland Castle, and this was put up 250 years ago by a bishop who really wanted to look after his deer. Now, bishops for many hundreds of years have had herds of deer here because they had a large household to look after, and just as people keep cattle or sheep for food, so they would keep a herd of deer, and so they wanted to look after them. And this was put up so that particularly in winter the deer could shelter, there would be a roof in the outer bit and then they could come in the middle here and be safe and in fact it was so constructed that in that tower behind me people could climb up inside and have a picnic and look down on the deer and watch what they were getting up to. Sadly we don't have too many deer around today because for some while now the park has been open to the general public, and so people walk in here with dogs, and the deer get shy and they smell the dogs, and so we don't see too much of them. But when I look in a place like this, I think, yep, this is a place of safety, of security. You'd come in here, and whatever there were outside, predators, wolves, um, animals that might attack you, in here you'd be safe. A lot of Christians think that salvation is like that. It's a wicked dark world out there, but there's a place you can come in and be safe. And whether you call that place the church or the community of believers or whatever, that's the idea, it's bad out there, but we're okay in here. And of course there's a sense in which that's true. Jesus himself spoke about a sheepfold in which he would bring the sheep in and then they would be safe there with him. But he said many other things as well, which make me think that this image of salvation really doesn't begin to do justice to what the Bible is actually talking about. Of the big floppy words that christians get bothered about is this word salvation itself what is salvation technically the word means of course rescue being rescued from an awful fate being saved from it it's simply an abstract way of referring to uh, something that happens when somebody's been in dire danger and somebody snatches them out of it and there phew you're safe at last but actually when we think about salvation in biblical terms we're not just thinking about being saved from something, we're talking about being saved for something. And what's more, it isn't just us who are being saved, it is actually the whole world. In one of the greatest passages in the whole Bible, Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about the whole creation being on tiptoe, waiting and longing for human beings to be saved, because when that happens, Paul says, the whole creation, will be set free from its slavery to decay and share the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, we will be saved from death and all that causes death, notably sin, but then the whole creation will be saved from the entropy, the decay, which currently claws away at it and reduces it eventually to rubble or whatever. No, says Paul, creation itself is going to be saved so how does our salvation relate to that and how can we properly think about it and explore it one of the great biblical metaphors that helps us to do this is the picture of judgment and in fact when you understand salvation and judgment biblically they turn out to be very much the same sort of thing because judgment is about god putting everything to rights at last in other words precisely rescuing it from injustice, from corruption and decay. Salvation and judgment, it turns out, belong very closely together. One of the things that many Christians today don't pick up on when they read the New Testament is that God has promised to sort the whole world out fully and finally at the end. One of the ways that this is routinely expressed is through the notion of judgment. Uh, For instance, when St Paul goes to Athens in the 17th chapter of the Book of Acts, It's a fascinating scene because Paul himself is under trial and looks as though he is going to be subject to judgment, but by the end of the great speech he makes before the great high court in Athens, he is actually warning them that there's a different sort of judgment and that it's going to be just and it's going to be fair and it's going to be done by the one true God through a particular man, obviously Jesus. And Paul actually says... God is going to sort the world out, to put it to rights, to judge the world by a man whom he's appointed, and he's given assurance of this to all people by raising this man from the dead. Now, of course, in Athens, and you'd find the same in Oxford or Harvard or any other great university city today, people just laughed. Raising from the dead? Don't be ridiculous. How can you possibly talk about a God who would do such a thing? But for Paul, the idea of Jesus being raised from the dead and the idea of the world being put to rights at the last were not really two ideas that were that far apart. Because what God did for Jesus at Easter was not just a random sort of conjuring trick. What God did for Jesus at Easter was taking his body, which had been very thoroughly dead, and sorting it out, giving it new life. Passing judgment, if you like, on the court that had judged Jesus. In other words, through that, passing judgment on all the injustices in the world, which were symbolized in what happened to Jesus. And When God raised Jesus from the dead, he not only said, this really is my son. He said, this is what I'm going to do for the whole world one day. I'm going to confront all the injustice in the world, all the misery and all wickedness in the world. And instead, I'm going to create a new world. And what's more, this Jesus, this my son, whom I've raised from the dead, is the one through whom I'm going to do that. Now, how did Paul know all that stuff? Did he just make it up? Well, Paul had undoubtedly thought through a great deal of this in new ways, ways that no one else had probably imagined before. But what Paul said was actually rooted again and again in the Old Testament. And when Paul goes back to the Old Testament, as often as not, he goes to the Psalms, which he probably sang and prayed like many Christians to this day do, day by day, week by week, throughout his life. And in the second Psalm, which many of the early Christians looked back to as one of the great initial statements of what God was going to do through the Messiah when he came, we find exactly this picture, that God says to the one who is going to be the King, the Messiah, You are my son, this day I have begotten you. Ask me and I will give you the nations for your possession. And you will sort them out. You will judge them. You will condemn where there is wickedness and you will uphold where there is righteousness. In other words, way back in scripture, part of the task of the Messiah is to put the world to rights. Not all by himself, but as God's agent. And that idea of the Messiah as God's agent, which goes back from Paul to the Psalms, goes back from the Psalms to something even more basic, which is the biblical vision of humankind itself. When God made the world, he didn't make it simply as a random place in order to run off and do its own thing. God put into the world one particular creature whose job was to reflect God's wise order into the world. Imagine an angled mirror in which you look down and then you look out through that mirror. Or if you're looking this way, you look in and the mirror reflects your gaze upwards. God put into his world an angled mirror and it is called humankind. That's what it means when the Bible says we are made in the image of God. It means we are meant To reflect God into the world and to reflect, this is a different point, but to reflect the praises and glory of the world back to God. So God has always designed it that the world is to be run through human beings. And when the world goes to the bad, as it did, not least through human beings themselves, interestingly God doesn't scrap that particular calling of humans. He rather says, I'm now going to sort the world out through human beings. I'm not going to abandon the creation because it was a good creation, but I'm going to sort the world out in a way which is in harmony with the way it was made in the first place. How on earth is he going to do that? The answer seems to be gradually coming into focus throughout the whole scriptural narrative that God is going to come himself and be a faithful human being. And so the whole New Testament looks at Jesus and says, it's happened at last. He is the truly human being. He is the true Messiah. He is therefore the one through whom, in terms of Genesis, the living God is sorting out the garden once and for all, getting rid of the weeds and the thorns and the thistles and planting the new seeds of hope and ultimately enabling us to find the way to the tree of life. Now, this picture of God sorting out the world through the Messiah as the true human being is one which is then developed in a number of ways, and not least by, again, Paul himself. In the first letter of the Corinthians, Paul has a great chapter, chapter 15, when he talks about the resurrection. And he's not just talking about Jesus' resurrection, he's talking about our resurrection. But as the foundation for that, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 21 through to 28, he talks in great detail about how that final victory is going to be won. And he calls it a victory because, let's be honest, right now it feels as though we're in a cosmic battle. Often the forces of light and the forces of darkness are locking horns with one another. Evil often seems to be triumphing over good, and many times that seems to go on much, much longer than we would ask or hope for. But the point of the resurrection of Jesus is that the initial victory has been won. God has announced his judgment on evil and on death itself, and in Jesus is now going on towards winning the final victory. Because, Paul says, the last enemy, which needs to be overcome, Is death itself. Now here's an interesting point. Many Christians have gotten used to thinking of death as well that's okay I'll die and I'll go to heaven and that's the end of the story. That can't be the end of the story because if death is the enemy then if you die and you leave your body in the ground and your soul or your spirit goes somewhere else death has not been overcome, death has not been defeated that simply is death itself. For Paul, the resurrection is God saying, dramatically, this is how I am sorting the world out, and even the power of death itself won't be able to do anything about it because it will be overthrown, and I will defeat it. So we have, therefore, developing, in the New Testament particularly, a vision of new creation. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, then there is new creation. And he doesn't just mean that that person is a little bit of new creation, a little bit of God's sorted-out world. He means that that person is designed to be a means, an agent of sorting stuff out here and now. It is, in other words, a call for us to become people like the Messiah. That's why, because the word Messiah means anointed, Often the New Testament talks about us being anointed with God's Spirit so that we can be sorting the world out people, so that we can be people who bring, in that sense, God's healing, creative, wise judgment and discernment to bear upon the world so that we can be, in the image of Genesis, gardeners who learn how to plant the new seeds of hope and learn how to get rid of the thorns and thistles. One of the great passages where Paul says this very sharply is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, talking about the mess that the whole human race had been in once upon a time. He says, but now, by grace you are saved through faith. That's not your own doing, it's God's gift. Paul is always stressing that all the good things we have come directly from God, not because we've earned them, but just because God loves us. And then he says... We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The word for workmanship there, in the original Greek, is the word poema, the word from which we get poem. We are, if you like, God's artwork, God's poem, God's song, God's symphony we as human beings are to be the people through whom God's fresh ordering of the world can take place. So when Paul says in that verse, God prepared us beforehand for good works, or prepared good works for us beforehand, he doesn't just mean good moral works, that we should do some good deeds here and there in order to earn favour, or indeed that we should just behave ourselves, live our lives in the way we should. He means that we should be creative, we should be people of new creation, able to do new things, to write new books, to sing new songs, to plant new gardens, to do new building, to teach new things, that we should be people of new creation. That is the most amazing vision. When I see that I'm astonished actually at how many people have an image of Christians as really rather boring killjoy people who have some funny ideas that they believe and then they just go about trying to persuade other people to believe those funny things as well. Really, if Christians knew what they were about, they should be people who are out there making the world come alive, making new things happen, opening new possibilities, giving people joy, uh, bringing love into people's lives and not least, bringing them hope. That's what the hope of judgment is at its heart all about, of God putting the world to rights at last, doing that through Jesus, but entrusting us even now, even here, with the task of doing the small things that count as genuine signposts towards that ultimate reality. So when we're talking about judgment in this sense that Paul has it, that the Psalms have it, Uh, that much of the Bible has it. We're not talking about a negative judgment in the sense of God just being capriciously angry with certain people and lashing out at them or anything stupid like that. We're talking about that sigh of relief moment when suddenly the sky clears, the clouds roll away, and God has sorted it all out. And with that, we know that we are rescued, that we are saved. So God's judgment in Jesus Christ is actually the means of God's salvation. And that means that we too are entrusted with being bearers of salvation by being bearers of wise, healing, creative judgment in the world. That sets us an agenda which I suspect it will take us quite a long time to work out.
0: All right. A lot there. He kind of landed on a phrase there, didn't he? And they sorting things out. Um, it's not something we usually say in English. But what, what, when he talks about sorting things out, what do you think he? Uh, how did you understand him to to mean by that?
1: You know, this this is. I've never seen anything in Lutheran circles like this. This is beautiful. I, I,
0: I've had this same concept for years. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean it's it's bi- it's biblical, but it's something that well, I've like been afraid to Terrified in my parishes to, to even come up with anything like this. Yeah. And it's it's a shame that it's something people don't don't talk about, don't point to. The you know, it's right there. I know. As, as I've created in the
1: image of God. Yes. You know, we talk about if I were to talk about with any pastors, come up with the concept of original sin and how we fell, and always leave out that concept of how we share with God creation. Yeah, we share with God the ability to create. I don't care what we're looking at in this room or in nature. Right. It was preceded with a creative thought. Right. And where did it come from?
0: Yeah. Well. To be made in the image of God, I mean, there's a lot to unpack within that phrase, and we'll talk more about it, but one element of that is God is creative, right? I mean, thats he's the hes the creator. To be made in his image means to want to create as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I
2: remember um, when we were dating, and you were in your first year at, um, at
1: seminary and mm. you were getting into this stuff, mm. and you shared it with me, and I felt like it was... Just totally earth shattering. Like, I've never heard anything like it. Hmm. What is this? Mm-hmm. And um, it was life changing for hmm.
0: me. As Lutherans, we're really strong on what we call justification, right? Of how we are, are made right before God and that, that forgiveness of sins. And we should be. That's the, that's the heart of the thing. If you don't have that, you don't have anything else. But <clears throat> um, we tend to be not as strong on, if you will, the two ends of the biblical narrative. So uh, at the, the beginning and what it means to be made in the image of God and some of the implications of that. Um, and then the end of things and what we're looking forward to. So I don't want to uh, sound as though I'm saying, oh no, we need to focus less on forgiveness and justification. That's not, that's not the point. The point is we wanted to get a more full body, pardon the pun, picture of the resurrection and the hope that we have. Yeah, Bob?
4: Yeah, you're saying it clearly. <clears throat> We've forgotten Luther most of the way because he had this all sorted out. Ah, that's right. <laughs> but we teach justification and forgiveness as being saved from yes. X, Y, and Z. Right. Luther says in the second article that I was saved for yes. X, Y, and Z. Yep, that's right. And that's what needs to be emphasized, not what I was saved from, right. that all goes away, but what we were saved for. Yeah. And to really focus on that as baptized followers this is what you were saved for. This is why you were you were created for. You didn't create Adam from, he created for. For. And we've been redeemed for. Yes. And so forgiveness isn't, it's always penultimate. There's something forgiveness does that was in the intention of forgiveness yes. is something bigger.
0: Forgiveness is a means, not an end.
4: It's a it's a penultimate phenomenon. <laughs>
0: well, and so that's a great segue. First uh, Bullet point I've got here under the discussion on your handout. <clears throat> Salvation means being saved from sin and for <clears throat> newness of life. Okay, now there's different ways that we we could put that, but it's this notion that yeah, it's that deliverance from something. But <clears throat> to go back to you know um, Sarah and, and Tara's experience on the boat, right? Okay, you were saved from the burning ship. Uh, that just sounds terrifying. I'm <laughs> sorry <laughs> if I'm triggering here you here, um, <laughs> but like you didn't want to just live there in the middle of the lake, right? That's exactly right. On the Coast Guard boat, you were saved for a return to your home and your community and your life there, right? And similarly, as Christians, we are saved from, we're saved from sin, death, the power of the devil, but we're saved for a newness of of life. So that saved from is there in Jesus' name. His name's Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Okay, yeah, go ahead, Okay, well, let me just um, go through these scriptures, then you can. So, Titus 2, though, captures that, that latter side of it. Our great God and Savior Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. You underline that zealous for good works. Wow. And then Ephesians 2, which he alluded to. Uh, the, the great eight and nine, the classic Lutheran verses, by grace you've been saved. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Yes, yes, yes. But don't stop there. For we are his workmanship, his poiema, as he said, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you are not only saved from, you are also and even more so saved for. Yeah, go ahead, Adam.
1: Sometimes when a new chapter begins in your life, you, you have to find a way that you're going to something new instead of running yeah. some, from something. Yep. Because if you're just running from something, there's no new life. Yeah, that's
0: there. right. Yeah, Priscilla?
2: I think the thing that excites me about
0: this is that because we have a creative God, mm-hmm. he creates in us, mm-hmm. so we don't have to think we have to do these things. Mm-hmm. We're just faithful, and yeah. like, when you, the copier guy, yeah. you didn't know you were going to do that. No. I, I, to me, I love surprises, yes. and when God surprises us by showing us and giving us things and showing that simple things that we've done, yep. it which seemed very natural to us, right? he was able to create something wonderful, and to me, that's that's what it's all about, just... Oh. Being faithful to—he didn't, you know—we just have to be faithful in, mm-hmm. and, and that doesn't even mean you're looking around for ways to insert yourself. Yes, your stuff. right. It's just God surprises us. He you know? absolutely so does. Cool. It there's, uh, we, we're just constantly living in this this giant Easter egg hunt where it's like, <laughs> what? Look at how what yeah. the Lord has already planted out there for us. And, uh, yeah, Jesus says, Op- open your eyes and see what's b- before you. The fields are ripe for the harvest. But, yeah, that's, that's part of the, the gift of it, too. Yeah, Carl. You
1: know, I, I, I understand it in such a way that, as a human being, I cannot not create. Yeah. I mean, even sitting here, I'm creating a thought. Right. I can create a mess. Right. <laughs> yeah. But I cannot not create. Yeah. Now, the point how it gets sorted out in my mind and heart is that, uh, what is it that's shaping my creative thoughts here? Hmm. What is it that's going to make this creation that I'm doing mm-hmm. something that would be glorified? Sure. Right. Uh, is it self-serving? Right. Uh, you know, along the way, as I think as I have grown through life, I'm going to be 80 this year. Get like, out of here. You know, whatever, whatever, <laughs> well, whatever. But it's it's through those decades. It seems like each time along the way, I had something that seemed to serve me well for that period. Hmm. But it no longer does. Sure. So I can't say, well, that was a sin. No, right. It just doesn't serve me well anymore. I'm going to set it aside.
0: Kind of to Anne's point, in each season of life in different chapters, uh, God opens doors and new opportunities to serve in ways where he says, I've got you here now, and here's how I can how I can use you. And we don't have to wonder or think, "Oh, God's got nothing for me here." Like if you're alive, you know, check your pulse, still breathing. Okay, then God's got good work for you, and He's prepared it in advance, right, right before you. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, what do we lose if we lose one, one that that side of it, that for newness of life? So, if you if you lop off that side of it. What difference does that make in, in terms of our Christian faith and life? If you just focus on salvation being you're saved from sin and death and you, you lose that saved for side of it.
1: The joy of life.
0: Okay. Yeah. You, you might have, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm glad that I got saved out of that, but I'm, I'm missing that fullness of joy. Yeah.
1: You know, they just to destroy the talents, which, you know, they have a different concept than it method piece of money yeah, right. now talent you know taking yeah. it from that standpoint. yeah where we have this and god gave it to them to right. us we were born with it yep you know and now what am i going to do with it with it yeah you know and and it comes to that not bury it you know right uh let's see how it works in the community it's
0: yeah isn't that interesting how in practice it's almost like we'll change that song hide it under a bushel yes because i want to be careful I, I mean, you know, it could. It's, it's scary out there. I don't want my light to get blown out. And so, yes, I'm going to hide it under a bushel. I'm going to bury it because I want to be you know, a shrewd investor. Okay, so go ahead.
4: Yeah, and for me, it's just this simple. What's the point? What's the point? What was, if I'm saved from, big deal.
0: Yeah. What's yeah. the point? What's the point? So um, I heard one teacher put it this way, that salvation has both a trajectory and a means. Okay? And you want to hold on to both of these. So the means is the the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus through his vicarious, satisfaction, his vicarious uh, work of satisfaction for our sins. That's the means. But God also has a trajectory of salvation, which is the renewal of all things, in which we live in and participate in even now as his reborn creatures. And if we lose sight of that larger trajectory, it's like, like Bob says, well, what's the point? Okay, cool. I've been saved, but what am I saved for? What's the good work he's got before me? Yeah. yeah. yeah if
1: we focus on that save from, it almost is this
0: type of nihilism. Say more about that.
1: Well, if we do, if we don't have a reason, yeah, we just think, okay, I'm saved, so yeah, going to
0: heaven. Go, going to heaven, and that's the, that's like the the most that we'd be able to, to say about. It.
1: Can I quit now? Beating my chest. Mia culpa. Mia culpa. Can I can I, I max right it's my fault, can I, my own most can I, previous can I stop now and, and look forward? I mean see this is the yeah. problem that I've been raised sure. in, in the Lutheran tradition. Justification and sanctification, but justification has always led the, the, the and, and takes up all my time. Right. You know, uh, the mea me a call, me a call. Yeah you know, So this
0: it's a big question and it goes beyond today, but it is something where, as Lutherans were accused sometimes of staying mired in that poor, miserable sinner sense and not moving forward into that redeemed saint right. sense. And I get it. Now, I, um, well, for one thing, I'm just too much of a, of a company man to say, yeah, that's right, let's get throw that stuff out. Um, and also, I think just pastorally and practically speaking, we need to hear that message of forgiveness over and over and over again. We don't move beyond it. Um, but at the same time, can it be emphasized too much? And can it be framed in such a way that we think, yeah, I, that's all I am is that poor, miserable sinner. Don't expect anything more of me because that's my real identity. Yeah, that can happen and that does happen, very much so. Yes, Andy. It's kind of like uh, being Lazarus coming out of the grave, <laughs> still being all wrapped up. Oh, that's good. And he couldn't get out of this himself. Sure. Others had to Yeah. off yeah. so as a community effort. I like that. So, uh, yeah, that's really good. So it's like if we were Lazarus and Jesus calls us out of the tomb and we just say, okay, I'm just glad to be out, I guess. <laughs> just stay wrapped up. And the Lord says, no, I want to, uh, I, I want to unwrap you, too. And like you say, that that's, that's a, a community thing, too. And that's not just about our individual walk with Christ, but as the body of Christ going forward, yeah.
4: I think one of our downfalls, and uh, I actually struggle in the liturgy with I a poor, miserable sinner because yeah. our Heavenly Father taps me on the shoulder and says, I don't think I've ever called you a poor, miserable sinner. I've called you my son, my beloved son. I'm not familiar with poor, miserable <laughs> sinner. I'm sorry. So we kind of do a, a revolving where we go back into the womb of sin and get and, and we're just this... Wheel of Pablum, and yeah. we never grow up into Christ. Yeah, the forgiveness of sins I enjoy doesn't take me back to that place. It continues to move me forward to the next step of serving Him. Yeah, you know, um, and I think this is what's critical. We do this circle, right? And it's meant to be a, a trajectory. It's, and yes. forgiveness of sins is always stepping with me as I'm moving in moving the kingdom into the world. Yeah. It gives me strength, it gives me hope, it, it, it picks me up when I stumble. Right. But I'm not on this silly wheel of forever infantile
0: behavior. Right, yeah, we're not, we're not hamsters. Um, he's, we are continuing to grow and to mature and into that likeness of Christ. Tara, and then Bill. Yeah, two
1: things. Um, I, Doug has told me that his very favorite part of the service, though, is the confession and absolution mm feels Like, if he doesn't get here in time for church for that portion, sure. He, even though he loves the rest of the service, so yeah, for yeah. him, he, he needs that every right. Day. Yes, on the second part, though, about grow up, I've been thinking about it's kind of like we're stuck in Sunday school, yeah, with our mentality, right, and um, not going, going in here and learning more, right, development mm-hmm. further, yeah. Further
0: and you're a nurse, and so like, there can be this notion of like a failure to thrive, right? Like if, if um, uh, someone, a child is malnourished, and they're not able to thrive as they are, or a plant right? that, that has been nurtured. I think that can happen in our faith, too. It doesn't mean you're not saved. doesn't mean that you aren't a child of God, but that you, uh, you have that failure to thrive as God wants us to. He wants us to continue to grow up more and more into, into his likeness. Okay, sorry, Bill. And then I have yeah. okay, go, ahead. go ahead, Bill.
2: Uh, it, when you talk about the to be saved from, mm-hmm. and then say, for, right? It, <clears throat> this is a question to you, sure, or to whomever. It would, it, it to me, it's almost as if saving from is a totally kind of using a word that can a nihilistic. It's an inward, it's concentrating on me. Mm-hmm. And the say for is an outward. Mm-hmm. It's concentrating on, on others. Right. And do you, is there?
0: Yeah. A, it... that, no, that, that's right. I mean, so the, the ancient uh, image for sin from St. Augustine, and maybe it's even older than that, is that what sin does is it, it makes us curvatus in se, which means curved in on yourself okay so the the image is of you looking at your belly button right that's what sin does is it draws us in uh the other day i took elliot over to to cognition this cool little hands-on museum in beulah they've got a hedgehog there and the hedgehog he just he cl- closes it on himself and he makes himself into a little ball that's what sin does uh, but what christ wants to do is to lift up our eyes to take us n- no longer to be inward focus, but instead to be outward focus. So that uh, what forgiveness enables is that. So long as I don't know that I'm forgiven, so long as I'm anxious about where I stand with God, I'm always gonna be looking back at myself and wondering, if I, have I done enough? So this is where forgiveness is absolutely vital and necessary to our, our life. But that's where it's also, it's um, instrumental in the sense that we receive that forgiveness then to be able to lift our eyes up and to look outward and no longer just have to be looking at at ourselves. That makes sense?
2: If I could extend that. Sure. uh, I I don't know how to quite put this in words. It would seem as though traditional church that is collapsing is so inwardly focused on the from portion that they are being overtaken by the rise of a lot of churches that are focusing on the four per, uh, portion. They're they're, they're they're outwardly focused as opposed to inwardly focused. Sure. there seems to be a correlation in my mind. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, Pastor Newton could speak to that. He's, you've, how many churches have you seen? But I, that resonates with my experience. And I don't think it's necessarily, you can't just say, the church that has that outward focus is going to be the big church and the one that doesn't is going to be the, it's it's not quite that simple but there's a vitality that comes with that outward look so whether or not the church is 40 people or 400 or 4000 people because uh, there's plenty of large churches that are just focused on maintaining the organization too right so it's not merely a, a, the kind of thing like you can look at the the size of it it's what's the heart of the church, and is the heart sharing the heart of the Father, which is that He wants to um, share the, His His love with with our neighbors, with the world. Yeah.
1: It, uh, my earthly father, <clears throat> by the time I was eighteen, had figured he had probably done much butchers he could do to make me, to make me independent. Yeah. And it you'd worked. already been you'd already hoboed for a few months. By <laughs> but there was a foot in a certain portion of my anatomy that we you don't know that was present. <laughs> And uh, I wonder, you know, and how dependent does God want us to be on God? Does He want us to remain yes. as children always, forever and ever and ever, or does He want us to grow where we become less
0: dependent? Interesting. Okay, so you guys catch what he's what he's saying there? Yeah, Bob, go ahead.
4: Um, <clears throat> there's levels of dependence. He will always. If we're walking by faith, He will always take us into circumstances that are way beyond our power. Yeah. We just grow into deeper and deeper circumstances. Yes. Yeah. So we grow in deeper and deeper dependence upon Him. Yeah. Um, we grow up. Right. But you you look finally at the example of our Lord Jesus, who actually prayed to His Father, Dad. I'm not sure about this. Right. I mean, this is God Himself. Right. Saying. <laughs> I think this job's too big for me. <laughs> right. I mean, and he's talking to his dad. He needed his father more than ever when right. he went to the cross. So right. we will, I don't think ever i a tremendous dependence on God. It just gets deeper because yeah. what he calls us into becomes more profound. Yeah. that's And, okay. and, um, and he will. If we want to walk with him, right. he's going to take us into deeper and deeper places that cost us more and more. Yeah. But that's part of the kingdom. Right. I mean, he, he did. He say, "Barely I send to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. Yeah. But if it dies, that's the that's the outside husk. That's the thing that makes us curve in on ourselves. Right. Once he dies, he'll produce much fruit. Yeah. But it requires dying. Now I really need him to help me do that. Right?
0: Exactly. But I'm yeah. not
4: into the die thing. No, right.
0: I'd rather do the the cling to life thing. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I think, Carl, it's, that, um, it's, it's not that we move beyond. I think that would be a, a, a sad thing to no, say. that No, I didn't, I didn't mean, I mean No, right, but it's that, it's that deepening dependence right. and yeah, that takes on a, a different, different form. Looking at that yeah, though. that's good. All right, I want, I've got a couple other, oh, well, what do you know? Um, let's see, um, let me think. The, the, big, the big things that I wanted us to take from, we've, we've kind of touched on in this, this conversation already, to just underscore and put a pin on a couple of the points that, that uh, Dr. Wright made also. You know, our destiny is to share the image of God now and eternally. So that we, as his image bearers, uh, go out into the world and use that image of like a periscope, right? We're reflecting the Lord's light out to the community. And on, on the flip side, I so was reading a book, and the, the author talked about um, how one day he was in the airport and walking around the, the airport, and he, he suddenly had this strange idea. What, what struck him as a strange idea, but he had been ruminating on what it meant to be made in the image of God, and reading Genesis 1. And he just looked at somebody who was just passing by him, and he said to himself, Image bearer. And he just started looking at each person in the airport and saying, Image bearer, image bearer, image bearer. And he said it was a, a transform, transformational experience because he didn't just see what, what we too often do, which is not see people at all, but nor did he merely see them as just whatever, folks who are, happen, happen to be out there, no, neither here nor there, but as image bearers, people for whom Christ died. How can that change our perspective? We look at our neighbors as image bearers because everyone is made in the image of God. Whether or not they happen to, to believe in God. He, every single person, he's created in, in his image. And I think that's a powerful perspective to, to have. Until finally, what God is doing now, Romans 8 says, Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. When we talk about, talk about sanctification, this is what, what it means. is We're being conformed and made more and more in the likeness of our big brother, Jesus. Right? We are looking like Him more and more until finally at the resurrection we will share that likeness in full, because we will share His resurrected flesh as well. Yeah. One more. Go ahead. More. More.
1: Sharing, sharing the image of God, mind, body, soul. Yeah. Can I somehow equate and the Father, Son, Holy Spirit? You know. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, the Trinity being involved with my image of God? Yes. Mine being the Father, maybe my body being the, the Son, and my soul being the Spirit. The sure. Holy spirit. Uh, yeah,
0: no, there's, I mean, uh, many theologians through the, through the ages have done that or talk about um, your memory and cognition. There's different aspects to that. So, yeah, for sure. I think there's a, a Trinitarian shape to our image of Godness. Also, in the fact that <clears throat> um, we are created for community, right? It's not good to be alone. Why is that? Because we are made in the image of of a triune God who is within himself a community of persons, okay? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you are made in the image of of God who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are created for community. It's not good to be alone, see? Um, Yes, good. Um, And then finally, this this big theme been hitting on the last couple of weeks, just that salvation encompasses the whole of creation. I wanna, uh, Romans 8, he touched on but, and the, Peter has this great little throwaway line in the sermon in Acts 3 you have here on your handout under number four. It says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, which God spoke about by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. God's in the business of restoring and renewing all things, and therefore, we in this age, we get to be agents of shalom, and bring his the blessings of his kingdom to bear in our community. Jesus says, "Blessed are the peacemakers, the shalom makers, right? For they shall be called sons of God." That's the privilege that we get to participate in as Christians, as the body of Christ, sharing his heart with our neighbors, and it's an exciting vision and one that uh, yeah. We don't leave behind with this Bible study by any means. We continue to, to develop and cultivate. I'm glad to hear um, from, from you folks that this is something that has, has captured your imagination and I hope that we can just continue to have those broader vistas of God's work in the world and what he is accomplishing even through uh, little old us. It's a powerful, beautiful thing. So thank you guys. for. Oh, sorry, Bob, did you have one less?
4: No, just real quick, I thought just... Yeah. In first, in John chapter 1, he says, the light appeared and the darkness has not overcome it. Yeah. And, and really, as we are being his people, this place is a dark place, and it seems to be getting darker, but we pierce that darkness. Yeah. We literally pierce it. And the light and the darkness cannot overcome it. Right. It just can't do it. Can't. And can't so that it. we're always encouraged to just keep shining because...
0: Yeah. Dark gates of Hades will not prevail. It will not. Will not. Thank you guys. Thank you for a great year of Bible study. Uh, we got some Leviticus, some eschatology, end times. So, thank you so much for being part of this. God bless.